0: All right, we're in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter, this section, uh, chapters 11, 12, and 13 conclude. Uh, This is kind of the final section of uh, the book of Hebrews. And uh, remember, as we've kind of said every week, uh, the readers of this letter were being tempted, struggling with reverting, going back into uh, Judaism. And when I say Judaism, I mean they were Jews who had come to faith in Christ, made a, a profession of faith, were walking as Christians, but they were still in a uh, setting and culture in which, I mean, the temple was still, uh, was still around. It was probably within five years before uh, 70 A.D., before the temple in the city of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. So the temple, the synagogue, all the, all the, the structure of the Jewish faith uh, that had been part of uh, these Jewish, uh, their lives for as long as they've been alive, uh, and they've come to faith in Christ. And uh, we know from various places that we've looked at that they're struggling with persecution and attack because of their uh, walk with uh, Christ. Uh, Domitian, who was, a, uh, was one of the Roman emperors during this period who... Um, in Rome. I mean, certainly there was persecution against the Jews that were coming on uh, strong, but uh, so they were being tempted to go backwards, to go revert back, give up Christ, um, abandon Christianity, abandon the faith. And so the writer of Hebrews is just encouraging them to persevere, to persevere, don't give up, don't go back. And so uh, they, uh, you know, the emphasis was confidence in the visible things uh, that they could see. You know, like I said, the temple, the feast, the, all the structures of Judaism. And now they're worshiping and, uh, and, and, and with these Christians who are being, uh, being sought out and, and uh, persecuted. And they're just like, you know, is this worth it? You know, we've given up businesses, we've lost family, is this worth it? Uh, and so the writer of Hebrews is encouraging them to stick with Christ and not Moses. There's no hope in Moses. And I mean Moses, I mean the law. There's no hope in the law and all that, that, that it, our hope is in Christ. And you know, <coughs> from chapter 1 on, there's always been this layer of the superiority or uh, <coughs> Jesus is better and greater, you know, he's the... The, the greatest uh, prophet who's come. He's superior to the angels. He's superior as our high priest. His sacrifice is superior. So all these things that he's showing how in Christ, what they have in Christ is greater and better. And that's meant to say, why would you go back to what God is not in? Why would you go back to that and abandon uh, your walk with Christ? So Hebrews 11 the writer is kind of uh, ending with a bang, if you will, by, again, showing examples of those. He's encouraging them to persevere in their faith, persevere in their walk. And so in chapter 10, verse 39, uh, this is kind of a, um, uh, a pivot, if you will, uh, a hinge that takes you from chapter 10 into chapter 11. Of course, the writer wasn't writing uh, in chapters and verses, but in the thought, we see how verse 39 uh, kind of, again, segues into chapter 11. So, he says, but we are not of those who shrink back. Remember, everything he's been saying is don't shrink back, don't go back, don't give up, don't don't uh, abandon, you know, all those things. He says, but we are not of those who shrink back. Remember, even in chapter... Um, what was it in chapter 6 when we were talking about those passages about uh, uh, the implication of, that, uh, of losing your faith and abandoning your faith? Remember what he says, but we've got greater confidence in you. In other words, that's not true of you. We know that you've got the real thing and the real thing you're going to persevere. So in the same way, he's saying, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those... Uh, who, uh, but of those who have faith and perse or and preserve their souls. So as he's transitioning, he's gonna again that we have faith, and he's gonna now talk about uh, that faith and give examples of those Old Testament believers who, in spite of opposition, in spite of uh, things that. Um, Uh, certainly were at a disadvantage as compared to the New Testament believer, yet they persevered and uh, they did not shrink back. So, uh, in your outline, you'll see there in the description, verses 1 through 3, we want to look at the description of faith. Number one is the description of faith, Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 1 through 3. Now, faith uh, is the assurance, this is the ESV Uh, Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, for the conviction of things not seen. For by it, by faith, for by it, the people of old received their commendation. Your version might say uh, bore witness or use the word witness. In other words, because of their faith, they bore witness to the genuineness of their walk with Christ because of how they demonstrated that faith, how they evidenced that faith, okay, uh, that they bore witness. But for by it, by faith, the people of old, meaning the Old Testament, received their commendation. They were commended for their faith in Christ. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So he's giving a description of what uh, faith is and how faith works, okay? This is the description. Uh, it's not necessarily a, uh, uh, a definition, but he's just kind of, again, this is what faith looks like. True biblical faith is not blind optimism. You know, you heard the little girl that was asked in Sunday school Uh, or the teacher asked, what is faith? And the little girl raised her hand, and she says, teacher, teacher, I know what faith is. And she said, okay, what is faith? She said, oh, faith is believing in those things that you know aren't true. Did you catch that? That's the way some people think about faith. You know, you'll you'll, uh, you'll hear somebody uh, speak about some politician or some celebrity or whatever, and they'll say, oh, they're a man of faith. What does that mean? You know, I mean, I mean, they believe in God. Well, James says the demons believe in God and tremble at least. I mean, so what is it? And I think he helps us here when he says that faith, the definition, is the assurance or the confidence of things hoped for. I've got a quote there from Bible teacher Warren Weersby, And he says, True Bible faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of, Of circumstances and consequences. Uh, If the word faith, uh, maybe the word trust uh, uh, might be helpful. But true biblical trust, faith, is is being confident is a confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. And so so we see as he develops chapter eleven, we see with these different individuals how this definition takes shape here. So uh, the consequences or the faith operating is simply God speaks, uh, uh, men or women hear the word of the Lord, and they obey. And their obedience is the evidence or the response to genuine faith. You know, again, just believing, you know, sometimes I remember... uh, you know, in trying to describe and help people that of what faith is, it's not a mental assent to information, meaning, well, do you have faith? Well, sure, I believe in God, and I believe in Jesus. In other words, I believe in the facts. I believe in the information, and certainly that's important, but that's not what biblical faith is. Certainly, biblical faith is based on truth, all right, but it's applying that truth in a trust that I'm I'm trusting in Christ for my sins and my deliverance of sins. I'm trusting in Christ for my hope, you know, and assurance. And so faith is not just, again, believing the right things, even though it does involve belief, uh, and it certainly isn't just some higher power or just some nebulous faith in faith. Sometimes you hear people kind of use it that way. Well, you just got to have faith. Well, what does that mean if, you, if it's not tethered? And, and again this uh these verses help us it is faith is the assurance hope for for the and it's the convictions of thing uh, the conviction of things not seen uh verse 3 for by faith we understand the universe was created by the word of god in other words this faith verse 3 is anchored in the works of god this faith is anchored in the word of god this faith is anchored in the evidence of god so it isn't just faith and just kind of this power of positive thinking faith it is actually faith that is anchored there in verses one through three and uh and of course it's the esv uses the word uh in verse one uses the word uh, assurance uh what what it maybe a different word that you have i know the niv and new king james have a different word what do, what do you have somebody huh Substance, all right. I think New King James uses that, or King James is the substance there again. uh, I like, actually, I like that word a little better, but it's a translational uh, preference thing. But in other words, faith is the substance. When something has substance, that means it's, you know, tangible. This this substance is liquid and plastic, and in other words, it's something I'm literally tangibly holding on to. So faith is the substance. It's, it's something tangible. It's not just kind of just out in the ether. Um, uh, I think the NIV uses the word "confidence" if you have the NIV. Now faith is the assurance, it's the substance, it's the confidence. It's like to a foundation of a house that there's a, there's a foundation there. So our confidence and our assurance and truth and who God is, that is the basis of our faith. So as we will look at the various individuals here in a minute, they acted not just because of just some, you know, whatever belief thing and nothing, but they were basing it upon actual truth, truth. Um, you remember in, uh, and I don't, think I, I don't think I have it here, um, yeah, I don't think I wrote it down or put it on the screen, but you can make a note of it. Remember in uh, uh, 1, John 1, 1 John 1, the first three verses, remember when uh, John, the apostle, was writing 1 John, listen to how he begins, you, you know this, you'll be familiar, and this is how he begins 1 John, verse 1, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, which we have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life, he's talking about Christ, was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So, again, John wasn't asking them, just take my word for it. Just take my word. He's saying, Look, what we tell you, what we're going to tell you, and He's speaking in as an apostle, what I'm going to tell you isn't just based upon my ideas or, or a dream or anything. He said that I'm giving you substance what we've seen what we've heard what we've touched this is real this is real and and John reiterates that as he begins that uh first John uh opening there but then there's a second word and that is the word um in verse 2 where it is uh or yeah verse I'm sorry verse 2 or verse let me see where it is uh is the word uh Maybe it's also in verse one. Sorry, the word conviction, the word conviction. That's what I want. The word conviction. So it is the assurance, the confidence, the substance, but also it is the conviction. Or your Bible might say evidence. It might even say the word assurance. It, it, again, it's saying that this is this is uh, that what we believe, our faith. That there's conviction. You know, there's things that you've probably had to face in your life. And they were just preferences. You're just like, well, I don't really care one way or the other. But then there's things that you were faced and you made a choice based on conviction. I can't do... I mean, that goes against the very core of my belief, my conscience. It's a conviction. What is he saying? In other words, these aren't just things that are just nice nice trivialities. He said these are truths that come from a conviction from God. And, uh, and so again, that's how he begins by defining what faith is. Faith, again, is acting on the truth of God and obeying the word of God. Uh, faith enables us to, uh, as we, and, and again, you may have to use your Bible for this. I don't think I put these on the screen, but if you look in Hebrews 11 verse 7, faith, is what enabled them to understand to understand the uh, promises of God uh, to see what God is doing. Faith was helped them as these saints, as we'll see in just a minute, helped them and enabled them to see what nobody else could see. Uh, for example, in verse seven, we'll look at this later, but just for my point, verse seven of Hebrews eleven by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen by faith again God they responded by faith on things that were unseen to everybody else they saw it Noah saw it Uh, verse 13 Hebrews 11 uh, speaking about kind of a little segue of the Old Testament believers before Moses these all died in faith and look it says not having received the things promised they hadn't received the things promised uh, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. How did they see him? They saw them by faith. We'll see in a moment how Abraham uh, went for a city that he, he, didn't, he couldn't see. It wasn't tangible, but he saw it by faith. He saw it by trusting in God. Verse 27, same chapter, 11, speaking about Moses, that by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, of the Pharaoh, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's faith. So faith enables you to see what God is doing, to see what nobody else sees by faith, by faith in God. Um, look in your Bibles. I want us to look at something. It's a good spot here, and because we're going to split this in half, and we can take a little uh, time here. But look over to 1 Corinthians. Do I have it on the screen? Did I put it on the screen, I don't think I did. No, I didn't. So you'll have to look it up the old fashioned way. Uh, look it up in your Bibles. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Important scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2. Again, talking about how faith enables us to see God, to see the works of God, to see what God is doing, to speak. Uh, to see God's hand in situations by faith, by trusting in God. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter two, and let's pick it up in reading verse six. And I'm gonna—I don't—I have the ESV on the screen, but I have the NIV here in this uh, Bible that I'm using. Um, so I'm gonna pick it up at verse six, and we're gonna read through verse fourteen, and. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory. So, in the past hidden, but God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had... They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Uh, I'm going to skip verse Uh, 9. Verse uh, 10. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. And he's talking about how things, how we as born again believers can uh, understand spiritual truths. The Spirit, verse 10, uh, these are things God revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things even the deep things of God. Verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, as a comparison, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit, little s there, of the world, but the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. So, Born again, receiving the Spirit. Verse 13, this is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but it, again, words taught by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit explaining spiritual realities with Spirit taught words, is how the NIV describes it. Now look at verse 14. The person without the Spirit, that's the person without the Holy Spirit. That's a person who is not regenerated. That's a person who's not born again. The person without the Holy Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them what? Foolishness. And cannot. That's a, that's a word of ability. Cannot understand them. Why? Because they are discerned, understood only through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. But the person with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the born-again one, makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. And he's going on because we have the mind of Christ. But you see what he's driving at there. He's, He's saying, look, we're talking about spiritual truths, not just spiritual truths made up by man, but these are spiritual truths that cannot be understood Unless the, you or anybody is born again, redeemed, regenerated by the Spirit. How can they understand them if they do not have the Spirit? So in the same way, when we talk about genuine faith, only a, born, only a person who's regenerated, who's born again, born from above, John 3, can act in faith because faith sees the unseen. Faith uh, acts upon that assurance of things hoped for. And so faith is biblical, true, scriptural faith that is genuine. That's what, again, that's what pleases God, as we'll see here in just a moment. So walking in faith, faith enables us to do what others cannot do. It doesn't make us, again, others, it's not not some, uh, you know, act or anything or weird thing. It's just that, how is it that a person, uh, you, might look upon a situation, and you make a remark and see uh, the hand of God working in that particular set of circumstances that may be positive or negative on the surface, but but you, there's something you you have a sense that God is doing something here, and the person who is not born again, who's not a believer, just all they see is tragedy. Well, you see tragedy, but you see something beyond the scene. You see something unseen. You with me? How, how do you get those lenses? John 3.3, 3, Jesus said, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay? All right. So, as we talk about these illustrations of faith, uh, he's going to walk us through some different individuals to encourage uh, these believers, and, of course, us today, in walking through this summary of lives of uh actions of great men and women. Uh, Just a little bit as a a little side note here, I thought of this um, in, uh, uh, some of you be familiar with this, some of you may be new, but it just kind of reminded me as we talk about uh, characters of Scripture and as we look at uh, different ones here tonight of different individuals who acted in faith, those of you who remember the Henry Blackaby uh, study, Experiencing God, uh, gives seven realities of experiencing God, and his whole premise. Uh, how many of you are familiar with that? Did the study, read the book? Okay. If you haven't, uh, I'm I'm hoping maybe fall we might we might do it on a Wednesday. Not sure. We uh, I think it's a great great uh, study to look at, and uh, but he gives seven realities, and he kind of weaves these all through his study. But he, as he studies. Uh, individuals in scripture. He sees these characteristics of people who walked with God. And uh, sorry, I didn't put in the outline. It was kind of a last-minute edition here, but I do have it on the screen. But his whole premise uh, or thesis uh, in what he teaches is that our relationship and fellowship with God grows by God's initiation in our lives and by our response to his initiation. And so Uh, His whole again, part of his premise is this is that God is working everywhere, and God is working everywhere around you, and He's working in every circumstance. So, so what God invites us not for God to take my agenda, God doesn't care about your agenda, He didn't care about my agenda. Experiencing God means getting in on God's agenda, find out what God is doing, where God is working. And get in on that. Find out how God is uh, working and responding. So just uh, as a quick review before we talk about these characters uh, that we'll look at in Hebrews 11, I thought this was a good reminder. Um, Number one is God is always at work around you, all right? Number two, God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. Every one of these individuals in Scripture, God took the initiative. Abraham, we'll look at in a little bit, God took the initiative. Moses, God took the initiative. God takes the initiative in every circumstance, invites us uh, to know him and walk with him. Thirdly, God invites us to become involved with him in his work. All right, Number four, God speaks by the Holy Spirit through means that he's given us. In our case, in our side of, uh, the Cal- of Calvary, it's the Bible, prayer. Uh, circumstances, God's providential workings, the church, um, to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. And again, he develops all these things later. Uh, Number five, God's invitation for us is to work with him. And this always leads you, as we'll see in many of these individuals, to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Think about different individuals, uh, Moses, Abraham, and you just go on. And at some point, they were they were at a crossroads of God putting his finger into their circumstances in their life, and they had to make a choice. Am I, gonna, am I going to believe God in faith or not? Am I going to choose to accept God and trust him? I mean, Abraham, Isaac, sacrifice yourself. Well, you know, am I going to trust God or, or not? I mean, those are, And so we've, we've to some degree not only experienced those things, but in walking with God we will continue to experience those things as God, uh, again, part of sanctification is us going from faith to faith, all right? From level to level uh, uh, of knowing God, of walking with God. And number six is this in this experiencing God, and all these individuals in chapter 11 did this, you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what He's doing. Again, he didn't, he's not interested in you. Jesus spoke to the uh, rich young ruler. Remember, he came with his resume and he obeyed the commandments? You bet, every one of them. And so Jesus said, All right, let's test that. Go sell everything you have. Now, what did he just say? He said, I obeyed everyone. But he couldn't get past number one, which is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And Jesus put his finger on the idolatry of his wealth, said, All right, go sell it and give it up. And it says he went away sad because he had many riches. So uh, walking with God, again, is not God uh, adjusting to you or me. It's me conforming to his will and all these saints did that. And seven, you come to know God by experience as you obey him and accomplish his work through you. One of my favorite characters, he's only briefly mentioned in chapter 11, is Jacob. I love Jacob. Jacob. Because I mean Jacob, you know, he starts out a big part of his life is just a just kind of a crooked scoundrel, right? And then God, angel of the Lord, takes him to the woodshed and slaps him the side of his thigh, and you know, and I heard this isn't original with me, but I, but I love it. Prior prior to that experience at Bethel, Jacob walked with a strut. But after he had that encounter with the Lord, he walked with a limp. And, you know, what Maybe a limp of pain or a scar really becomes a, a testimony of God's grace, you know. Um, and so, uh, anyway, uh, that's, that's free. You won't get charged for Henry Blackaby tonight. All right, let's look at point number two in your outline. And that is not, uh, we move from the description of faith to the demonstration of faith. And so, verse 4 is... Abel, Abel. The Bible says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. These were the two uh, offspring of (coughs) Adam and Eve, two children of two sons born to Adam and Eve after the fall, uh, through which, uh, let me start over again, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended uh, as righteous. Abel was commended. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And we won't go back and look into that, but it's in Genesis chapter 4. But you remember the story is that uh, they came and were bringing an offering to the Lord, uh, what kind of offering did Abel bring? Huh? Speak up! I can't hear you. Well, an animal, a sacrifice. Yeah. And what uh, what type of offering did Cain bring? Yeah, it was a harvest. Now I'll be honest with you. There's there's really um, there's some genuine uh, you know because you may have again and always heard that because Cain did not bring a blood sacrifice that was why his offering was not accepted uh, and that that may be true and it might uh, but at the same time you remember that uh, barley and wheat harvests and those type of things were acceptable sacrifices in the old. Testament sacrificial system all right so um, so not really sure there but 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 it does suggest that there was maybe had something to do I think if you go back and uh, we won't go back but if you go back in chapter four of Genesis it talks about how uh, Abel brought the uh, fat of the of the animal and and some scholars uh, have Said that that really is a uh, the way the Hebrew is there was a was a uh, reference or the way the language is a reference to kind of the first fruits of his of his um, of his uh, you know um, animals uh, that he brought to the Lord and that might suggest uh, not necessarily because one was an animal sacrifice and one was a was uh fruit vegetables or whatever uh, type of grains uh, grown from the earth, but that it was the attitude was that Cain or Abel brought the first kind of the best of his offering to the Lord, and that spoke of his heart and his attitude so again, uh, just some different ways that understand that uh and so but but if you remember uh, in Genesis chapter three uh, as far as the interpretation that because it wasn't a blood sacrifice, that that was the way that God had shown uh, Adam and Eve, uh, the parents, uh, of what was the acceptable sacrifice and coming before the Lord. Remember that when Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says in the beginning part of Genesis 3 how they made for themselves fig leaves and to cover their shame, cover their nakedness. But before they were banished from the garden, the Bible says that the Lord covered them in animal skins, which would show that uh, if you're going to get some animal skins, there's probably a dead animal that was sacrificed. So so again, it, it suggests the importance, especially when you look at it thematically, that it very well could have been a combination of the type of sacrifice that Abel brought, as well as the attitude and the priority and by which he worshiped the Lord there. So again, just kind of put that out there. The Bible says uh, Jesus said in Matthew 23:35 that Abel was a righteous man. And in 1 John 3:12, uh, John the Apostle says that Cain was evil, that he was evil. So, um, but it says that uh, Abel brought a more acceptable, sacrifice than Cain. Uh, and it says, though, uh, though he is dead, he still speaks. How does he still speak? He still t- reminds us through, again, what his actions taught us was that there is an acceptable way that God receives worship. It isn't just based on however we decide we're going to do it, but he still speaks and reminds us that uh, there's, a, there's an acceptable way that God has provided by which we can have a relationship with him. Ultimately that was spoken in finality by the sacrifice of Christ whose blood atoned for our sins. And Hebrews has said Jesus offered uh, one sacrifice forever for those who are uh, saved and are redeemed. And so Abel still reminds us of true worship uh, today. Look at verse 5 and 6. Enoch. Enoch. Interesting story in Genesis 5. This is all pre flood, uh, which is timely. We're getting. uh, In fact, uh, maybe the internet just uh, went out on me. So, may not be able to get get this back. We'll see. But anyway, look at uh, Hebrews 11, verse 5 and 6. All right? By faith, Enoch. there we go, okay. It sounds like hail, doesn't it? That's good. That's good. That's what I like to hear on this building. All right, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up uh, so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So Enoch, uh, interestingly, who is the... uh, I think this was a trivia question on trivia night, but who was the other individual in the Old Testament uh, that was... uh, taken up, raptured if you will. I'm not saying anything about the rapture, I'm just saying that's what rapture is to be taken. Uh, who else was taken? Elijah, all right? And the two E's, Enoch and Elijah. And uh, so here Enoch, and it just says that he pleased God. He walked with God and he pleased God. And, and, uh, and as I said, he was living in the pre-flood world. Well, we know because of what resulted in the wickedness that uh, led to Noah building an ark, uh, that the wickedness was so great that God essentially decided to wipe him out except Noah and his family. That the wickedness had become so intense on the earth. Well, Enoch is alive and walking in in that environment. And yet it says that he pleased God. An example of... Please God. Now it's interesting, Abel walked with God, a man of faith. He had a very violent death. Enoch, he had the kind of death I want. I want God just to translate me, take me, right? Isn't that the way to go? Sherry's looking for me and gone, right? All right. Now, uh, again, I'm not going, but I'm just saying that, that is, as far as us being taken up, in to some degree as far as when I say rapture, I'm not necessarily talking about the rapture, but, but people will point to Elijah and Enoch as examples of being bodily taken up, all right? as two examples in Scripture uh, in, in that discussion there. All right, number three, very timely, verse 7 is Noah. We might need Noah right now. See Jim out there. Maybe Jim's starting to build... It says, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. Again, faith enables you to spiritually see uh, what others can't. Again, that's where the Bible we talk about uh, discernment. You know what discernment is? The Bible speaks of that we should have discernment. Uh, how do we get discernment? Well, discernment is, is knowing the difference between truth and untruth. And I would even go further, and I've said this before, discernment isn't just knowing truth and untruth. Truth, I mean, discernment is knowing uh, uh, right from almost right. That's, you know, that's the kind of discernment, not, not just, you know, black and white, but, but the, you know, a lot of times the enemy paints in shades of gray and compromises. And so Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. Notice this, notice this in reverent, reverent fear. Fear, the fear of God. He did it in spite of, he, he didn't have the fear of man, but he had reverent fear to God because he took what God said seriously. He believed God and in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this, by this building of the ark, by this obeying the word of the Lord, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now think about this. Uh, Up to this point, he's building an ark, and they're like, Hey, Noah, what are you doing? Well, I'm building an ark for the flood. The flood? What's a flood? Well, it's going to... It's going to pour water down on the earth. What? That's never happened before. Because people, you know, talk about how the earth was, was uh, given uh, its water uh, from underneath the earth that came up. And so imagine, and, uh, and doing this, and every time he's out, every time that, imagine generations, because how, how many years, I should know this, and I'm blank, but how many years did Noah build work on that ark? Y'all just as bad as me. Was it, how many years? All right, somebody look it up real quick, all right? But every, 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 uh, you ever hear a neighbor out working on their house, and all you hear is that banging? You're like, I remember when I was a little kid taking a nap at my grandmother's, and Mr. Pittman was always working on his something. And my grandmother said, I wish Mr. Pittman would quit working. Doesn't he know we're trying to take a nap? <laughs> And uh, you'd always hear that hammer. Well, you know, generations grew up listening for that, hearing that hammer, but every time they heard that hammer bang away or this noise, that was, that was their condemnation because Noah was embracing God's Word and was obeying God and in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the opposition. And uh, why do you think that Noah, again, remember the audience. How many years? All right, between 55 and 75 years. All right, so a long time. Almost two generations. And uh, why do you think the example of Noah might be particularly comforting to this audience that the letter of Hebrews is being written to? Think about... The context of Noah and consider the context of the author of, or the writer or the audience rather of Hebrews. Why might that be particularly comforting? It's not a trick question. Noah was obeying God in spite of great opposition. What is the writer of Hebrews encouraging that audience to do? Obey God in spite of opposition and persecution. You may be the only one. Noah, what motivated Noah? The Bible says, at least here in verse 7, out of reverent fear. He feared God more than all the mocking crowd uh, making fun of what he was doing. That crazy Noah. Now, I don't know, I don't know how what the system was. I, I, you know... Um, but you can imagine growing up in Noah's household, he's your dad, and the kids in the neighborhood talking about, yeah, that crazy Noah. You know, he's just some nut. You know, out there building a boat for some... I mean, I mean, yet, yet, once it began to rain, and once the, once the water began to rise... Um, now, don't base your theology of Noah on the movies that have been made about Noah. Remember there was a movie with Russell Crowe? And I think he had people in boats trying to get out there, you know, or you had these weird creatures. Remember that? Oh, my goodness. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. But anyway, it's kind of interesting. But you remember what, uh, and I have this, uh, I think, from Matthew 24, Jesus spoke about Noah. And this is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, Jesus authenticated this is important when we talk about the authority of Scripture Jesus authenticated the historicity of Noah and the flood. Because Jesus points out in the chapter that is speaking about His second coming in Matthew uh, and He says, but concerning that day meaning the day of His return an hour no one knows not even the angels of heaven nor the sun for as were the days of Noah. Again, what were were the days of Noah? What was the the condition of the world, the culture, the society? What was that like in the days of Noah? Bad, rebellious, evil, wicked. So wicked, God says, we're going to just start all over, right? He said, that will be like... The days preceding my second coming. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. What is he saying? Kesara, Sarah, Sarah. Life was just just living high you know just going on with life not a care in the world but it says until until the day there was a fixed point of time until that they were just partying hardy until the day when noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood come and swept them all away so will be The coming of the Son of Man. Remember, was it uh, when Daniel was um, uh, was it with Belshazzar and he was partying and uh, having an, uh, uh, an orgy and they were drinking and boozing it up using objects that they had stolen out of the temple and the handwriting on the wall. Remember that story in Daniel. Time's up, man. It's over. Unaware until the moment. Well, as a Christian, we don't have to live like that, do we? we are, we've been warned by faith. We have the truth by faith. We shouldn't be caught by surprise. Um, but uh, in the meantime, how are we should be? We're to be living godly lives. We're to be living holy lives before the Lord. And so Noah, Second uh, Peter, one scripture there uh, says uh, that if God, talking about, because Noah, that was a point of judgment, Peter himself affirms the historicity of Noah, the authenticity of this event. They quote it, assuming that his audience and the way Jesus, it was acceptable historical truth and knowledge. Second Peter 2 Peter 2.5 says that if God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Talking about the judgment of God, all right? But again, all I want you to see is how Noah is called a herald of righteousness and how Peter affirms the authenticity, the historicity of Noah in Scripture, all right? I think uh, I'm going to, because I'm getting ready to pick up Abraham, that's on the back page, and I think I'm going to wait for next week uh, to uh, to do that, since we only have a few minutes, and I'd rather just hold off on that, but, um, yeah, I think I'll wait on that. I tell you what, why don't we, let's take five minutes and... Uh, It'll just be, uh, we got a few minutes, so let's maybe, we'll we'll end in five minutes, but let's go ahead and just get a few of these. Now, he goes to Abraham, or the patriarchs, because he covers uh, Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, or Jacob and Joseph. So now he's transitioning and showing how these acted in faith, how these demonstrated in faith. And so he begins by... Abraham, okay, the emphasis of the, this section, which goes from chapter 8 to verse 22, is focusing upon how the patriarchs believed in the promises of God, because you remember Abraham was given a promise, God made covenant with Abraham, right, Promise that his seed would multiply, his descendants would be as numerous as the sand of the sea, the stars in the sky... Um, and so let's, let's uh, get into Abraham a little bit, and uh, we'll maybe cover a few points and keep your outline there for next week. All right, verse 8, by faith, again, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out, look at this, not knowing where he was going. Now, my wife says that sometimes when I drive. She says, you're not Abraham. <laughs> She'll we'll be out halfway. She goes, where are you going? I said, I have no idea. We were, I was supposed to go there completely. I got talking and my brain is off. And, but that isn't what we're talking about here. Abraham, look at this. God called him. And you can read in Genesis 12. I don't think I made that. No, I didn't put it up there. But let me just read you Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, this is Genesis 12, 1 through 4. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, in your seed, All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, ultimately, we know that in Abraham was the seed of Christ. How were all the nations going to be blessed? Not just through the nation of Israel. That was, in a way, just the incubator that God used to bring Messiah, that through Christ and in Christ, all the world, all the nations will be blessed. That's why, again, uh, the writer of Hebrews' argument says, look, These promises go beyond Moses. They go back, remember we talked about Melchizedek? There's a priesthood that precedes anything Moses and Aaron and the Levitical priesthood did. There's something that is superior. And Jesus is part of that superior priesthood. Where did that come from? Again, it came from that that lineage there. We, We talked about that. So, Abram, it says in verse 4 of Genesis 12, went, he obeyed. As the Lord had told him, and Lot, his nephew, went with him, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So number one, and we'll just maybe do a couple of these, if we, or maybe just one, is just some principles about the emphasis in verse 8. You should mark that, circle that, highlight it, swipe it, whatever you've got to do. But it says, by faith Abraham obeyed. Obeyed. That's the test of faith. It isn't your knowledge. Do you do do what God tells you to do? Do you obey the word? Do you, you know, do you obey the word of the Lord? Number one, he obeyed when he did not know where he was going. Okay? He obeyed when he didn't know where he was going. Verse 9, by faith he went to live in the land of promise. This was a promise. As in a foreign land. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. You see, the writer of Hebrews, we ourselves, the audience, we have a tremendous advantage because we're living on this side of the cross and we benefit from all of the Christological knowledge we had. Abraham is looking forward in a very limited way, just believing God's word, but we have the ability to look back and see all the detail, the mosaic of all the detail of how God fulfilled that promise that Moses didn't have that advantage. But, but he, by faith, believed God and believed what God said He believed God's promise there. He obeyed God even when God told he didn't know where he was going. all right Secondly, we'll, we'll, we'll end on this one. He also obeyed when he did not know how God's will would be accomplished all right look at verse 11 "By faith, Sarah by faith Sarah herself received." Power to conceive. Now, Abraham is 75 years of age. Uh, You know, that's usually not happening, right? By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, childbearing age, since she considered him God, not her body, not her ability to read. You know, she was beyond menopause, all right? But she wasn't trusting in that. She was trusting that God said, and she considered him faithful, who had promised. In spite of obstacles and circumstances, she believed God. Therefore, one man, and him as good as dead, talking about Abraham, were born descendants in this impossible Human situation were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, fulfilling what he spoke in Genesis 12 and 15 and the covenantal promise. He bore descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. God came through. God came through. Now, I want to just close with reading this in Romans. This is a good... um, uh, commentary, and we'll close with this, and we'll pick it up next week. All right, but this is a good. Uh, make sure, do I have the do I have the Romans reference? Make write down Romans four, um, verse thirteen through twenty-five. This is important. Uh, just again, commentary on Scripture. So this is Paul giving commentary on this promise to Abraham for the promise to Abraham and his offspring. That he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Abraham lived before the law, so it couldn't come through the law. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. And he's saying, look, faith, faith tr- tr- uh, trumps just a cold belief in the law. He's saying faith is trust in God, not in works. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. Hang with me. That is why it depends on faith. See, he's talking about faith. In order that the promise, what promise? The promise God gave in his covenant to Abraham um, that we saw fulfilled in Christ. In order that the promise may rest on grace. Yeah, grace in the Old Testament. And be guaranteed. That's the assurance of things hoped for. To all his offspring, not only to the inherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, that's us Gentiles, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you, he said, told Abraham, quoting uh, the father of many nations, in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, Abraham believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Verse 19. He did not weaken in faith. I think, um, Melissa, I know you have the King James. Does it say, it use the word stagger in the New King James? Okay, don't worry about it. Sorry. I, I, sorry, don't worry about it. I, I think one version says, he did not stagger in faith. I like that, because you know, it's like, you know, you're just like, I'm holding on, but I'm all right, but he did not weaken in faith when he considers his own body, because he's like, "You're going to do what?" Which was as good as dead. There it is again. Since he was about a hundred years old, now you know. And when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no, no. Look at this. No unbelief made him waver. No unbelief caused him to waver concerning. The promise of God. He believed God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced. There's the conviction that we saw in uh, Hebrews uh, verse 2. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him, accredited to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe, who trust, who have faith in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trans to our trespasses and raised for our justification. So again, Abraham did not waver, no unbelief. He trusted and Believe God. And that's, that's what he's, this writer of Hebrews, he's wanting these, this audience. Man, he, he's throwing everything but the kitchen sink in there and saying, Look, and they didn't have any of the promises fulfilled like you guys have. But they stuck with the promise of God. How much more? How much more <laughs> that you have all this in Christ? And he wants them to persevere. So we'll pick it back up uh, and finish, and then finish chapter 11 next week, Lord willing. So.